Hi there, this is Kevin Skinner, pastor at First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. If you live in the Stockdale area, then I would invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to worship with us in person. You can also check out our webpage at fbcstockdale.org. Here at First Baptist, we are a community church with a kingdom mission, and we invite you to join us on that mission. Well, good morning, church. I'm excited to be able to preach to y'all today, to teach to y'all. Um, I get the privilege, my name's, like I said, my name's Palmer Jones. I'm the youth minister here, and I get the privilege to uh, teach our students every Wednesday, but this is the first time I get to uh, preach to you guys. And so it's a privilege and it's an honor uh, to be here. And Pastor Kevin, he's with his family. He's in Fort Worth right now. They're going to be making their way uh, shortly back uh, uh, due to the holidays. But there's something about a new year, right, that brings hope. There's something about a new year, the calendar reset, January 1, that brings uh, life. We get excited, brings anticipation that we look forward to. We may make lists, New Year's resolutions. I'm a list person. I love making lists. I love making New Year's resolutions, even though I don't complete any of them. (laughs) I like doing it. I like doing it. But here's the thing. Uh, With a new year, we feel that hope. And I think part of that is because as the Christian church, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're coming off the heels of Christmas, which is the greatest hope we could have, right? We just celebrated Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, the God-man came as a baby in a manger, and we have hope because of that. So I think we're coming off the heels of having hope and celebrating hope, planned, promised, and provided. We celebrate that. And so we feel with this new hope of 2023, the new year, the calendar change, we feel that anticipation. But you know, there might be some of us in in the room this morning where we we don't feel that. Where maybe that January 1 hit last night and, and we still have the same habits. We still have the same addictions. Maybe family tension over the holiday hit a boiling point. Or maybe you didn't see family at all because of a boiling point that happened in the past. Maybe the medical diagnosis is still the same. And so we go into the new year and we ask ourselves, do we have hope? Or is that just a Christian buzzword we say? But do we have real hope? True, genuine hope? Is it founded in something that's rooted, concrete, instead of it just being a buzzword we say? And I think the answer is, yes, we do have hope in something that's concrete and real. And the Apostle Paul deals with this. The hope in, our, in the resurrection. And not just the resurrection of Christ, but the resurrection that believers feel and experience when we are born again. When we are converted. When we give our lives to Christ. And so... If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's where we're going to spend our time to, most of our time together to this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, we actually just got brand new pew Bibles uh, a few months ago, and they're very nice. So if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab that. And if you're new to reading Scripture, uh, I tell our students uh, just about every Wednesday, uh, the chapters are the big numbers. And the verses are the little numbers. So if you are new to reading scripture with us, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, and really what we're going to do here uh, 
is we're going to divide our time together in this passage in, into two sections. Uh, it's a, there's a quite a bit of text, so we're going to divide it up into two. But just so you know, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Uh, there was a city called Corinth, and a bunch of Christians gathered in the city of Corinth, and Paul was writing a letter to them. It's quite as simple as that. And so Paul's writing to the Corinthian church in this particular passage, and he's dealing with a heresy. He's dealing with something that people are saying that's not true about the resurrection. We'll get more into that later, but read with me verses 1 through 11. Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 1 through 11. Paul says this, Now I want to make it clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was and that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over five hundred brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim so that you have believed. Paul is opening up here and he's saying, I I want you to know that you're saved. Like I want you to truly know that you are genuinely converted. That you're not a false convert. And like what Paul, like I said earlier, Paul is going to deal with a heresy that the early church struggled with in Corinth. But we'll get to that a little bit later. But I want to read verses 1 through 2 again to reemphasize that. So read with me verses 1 through 2. Now I want to make it clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Did you catch that last part? Unless you believed in vain. See, this is extremely important for us to to take in. I tell our students often on Wednesday nights, I tell them to take inventory of your heart. Take inventory. Look inward. Genuinely look inward and say, hey, am I really in the faith? Am I really there? Am I truly believed upon Christ? Because there is a real thing of believe in vain, or Paul wouldn't mention it. We see here Paul in his second letter to the Corinthian church. He says this in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says to test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. This is a real thing that Christians should do 
because it's extremely important to know, to know without a shadow of a doubt that we are his. Jesus, our savior, Emmanuel, who we just celebrated, came into the earth, in my opinion, says the scariest words ever uttered in scripture. The most horrific and damning thing anyone could hear. If you've been in church any time, you've heard it before. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 22. This is our Lord speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Depart from me. This is something that should sober us up. This is something that should quicken us, quicken our hearts, quicken our spirits to go, okay, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, there will be a day where I will say this to people. And you can't claim that you did things in my name. I did mighty things, Lord. Look at what I did. He's going to go, I never knew you. Depart from me. So what should we believe? Because we don't want to hear those words. We want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Those are the words we want to hear. So what do we believe to not believe in vain? What do we believe? Well, lucky for us, Paul answers this question. Read with me verses 3 through 8. For I pass on to you as most important what I also receive, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me. So what do we believe? Paul lays out, this is the gospel. This is the good news right here that Paul just laid out in these passages that Christ came, he died, he resurrected himself, and he appeared to many. And so that's the best news that we have is the gospel is because Jesus didn't just stay in a manger. And guess what? He didn't just stay on a cross either. And he didn't stay in a grave. That grave is empty. And that's the best news that we have. And so when we talk about believing in vain, what does that look like? Paul says, what is that? you've believed in vain. What it looks like is not believing the gospel. It looks like trusting in yourself for salvation. Trusting in our own good works. See, that's the good news is that Jesus is not just dead. He's alive. He's reigning now. He will always be reigning. He's building his church. He's growing his church. 
We've got to celebrate so many baptisms last year. Sounds weird to say last year. Look at the wall. Look at the water droplets. Look at last week. Look at Christmas. That's the greatest thing. We got to baptize people on Christmas. I mean, come on. That's amazing. Jesus is building his church. And guess what? He said the gates of hell will not prevail. And last time I checked, Jesus is not a liar. And when he says that, that is a divine imperative, meaning it will happen. When Jesus speaks with command and power, things happen. When Jesus commanded the wind and the waves to stop, they were like, let me think. They weren't like, let me think about it, Jesus. No, matter moves at the power of his word. And so it is incredible and that we get to remind it when Jesus says he will build his church and the gates of hell won't prevail. Wow. Sign me up. That sounds awesome. And so that's our hope. That is what it looks like to not believe in vain is to trust the power of the gospel, the power of his word. The cross is sufficient to save and the grave is empty. Paul lays that out. So if you ever ask yourself, man, I don't know how to share the gospel. Just read that. <laughs> He came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he's coming back. And so we can't forget where Paul has come from. Read with me verses 9 through 11. Paul talks about himself real quick. He, he kind of addresses himself. And he says this, verses 9 through 11. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so that you have believed. You know, it's easy for us who have been in church like our entire life uh, to remove ourselves from stories in the Bible. I, I think it's pretty easy. I do it myself. Sometimes it's easy to forget the, the, the graphic nature of some of these stories and of the real people and the real emotions and the real things they did. And Paul here knows this. Paul, who once went as Saul, was there at the very first martyr, Stephen. He was present, not only present, he affirmed it and approved of the very first Christian that was killed for his faith. We read the account for Stephen is stoned to death. Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through 60, read this. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They yelled, the Pharisees. The Pharisees yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, 
Lord, do not hold this sin against them. After this, he fell asleep. Did you catch that last prayer? Lord, do not hold the sin against them. You know the best part about that prayer? Is that it was answered. It was answered. You know, Paul talks about being the least of the disciples. I think he means it. To think that Paul was a zealous Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he had these garments laid at his feet of Stephen. And I don't need to tell you and go into graphic detail, but it's pretty obvious stoning is not a clean death. It's graphic. It's gruesome. It's brutal. These weren't clean garments laid before Paul. And to think that he may have had a sense of pride in himself of these garments laid at his feet. I did that. He's proud that he persecuted the church. But Stephen's prayer made its way to heaven and the Lord was kind to Paul. And he saved him. And so when Paul talks about being the least of these because he persecuted the church, we can't forget what's running through his brain. He knows. And so I tell you today, looking back on 2022, you may ask yourself, or you may ask God, I've done this. God, would you just remove that out of my brain? The things I've said, things I've looked at, people I've treated poorly. Oh, Lord, would you just remove that? I cringe when I think about that. Or maybe someone wronged you. Maybe someone hurt you, said something, treated you a certain way. And you're like, oh, I just wish I could erase that out of my memory forever. I don't want to think about it. I feel shame. I feel guilt. And I think the reason why the Lord doesn't remove stuff out of our memory is because of this right here. It keeps us humble. It keeps us humble. It reminds us of where we've come from. Look what Paul says, verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul remembers. He goes, man, I've done a lot of things. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. What an incredible thing to have that the Lord doesn't remove our memory but you know what he keeps us humble because it reminds us of where we have come and where we have been and we can go I can testify God's grace is sufficient his mercy is enough and I stand forgiven and I know I stand forgiven and it keeps us off our high horse and we can't look at other people and be like oh I can't believe they do that. Can you believe so-and-so? They said this. They do this. It keeps us humble. Because at one point in our lives, if you've called upon the name of the Lord, we were all, this is Jesus' words, children of wrath, children of the devil. It's the reality, man. It's the reality of it. And so, what we're going to do here to the last section of the Scripture is Paul... Um, he's going to make some claims. And you got to follow along because he moves quick. He moves really quick. He's going to make a logical claim that leads to another logical conclusion. 
And that logical conclusion leads to another logical conclusion. And then another one. And he does this for a while. So it moves fast. But let me give you an example. Uh, some of us in here love uh, murder mysteries. Uh, I know I do. Um, I love a good murder mystery, like a good whodunit. Uh, I love a good whodunit movie and or story. And what happens at the end? It's a common trope. Because people love it. The viewer loves it. It's something that runs through all these things. What happens at the end of the movie or the show is the detective. They get all the evidence, right? They know the weapon. They know the murderer. They know the motive, the time, the location. And at the end of the show, they confront the judge or they confront the murderer, right? And then they go, you were here at X time with X weapon, with this motive and this entire thing. And as they're talking to the person, what's happening on the screen? Well, you, the viewer, are getting a flashback of all the stuff you didn't see beforehand, right? You're getting a flashback, and the viewer, we get the satisfaction. We're like, yes, we knew it. I knew the entire time. I called it from the start. He was the person, right? And so the detective goes, you were here at this time with this thing and this thing and this thing. And one X, Y, Z leads to the other, which leads to the grand conclusion of who the person is. Paul does this here. He leads one thing to another that leads to another. So read with me verses 12 through 19, verses 12 through 19. And I'll try to read slow because he moves fast. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Remember I said there was a heresy in the old church? This is it. Paul is quoting people in the Corinthian church of this heresy. He's quoting them. How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if Christ, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those, then, who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. See, the resurrection is essential for the Christian life. Not just the believer, for the believer, but the doctrine of what happened to Jesus. And the resurrection is still hotly debated today. It is. Because everything hangs in the balance on it. See, the thing is, atheists, agnostics, secularists, Muslims, um, you name it, Buddhists, None of them care about a Jesus that's still in the grave. None of them. Because a Jesus in the grave has no power. He was just a good Jewish teacher. At most. And that's why people 
care so much about the resurrection. Because if Jesus did come out of the grave, which he did, then everything changes. Everything hangs in the balance of the resurrection. Everything hangs in the balance of the resurrection. He says, Paul says this in verses 16 through 17. For if the dead are not yet raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. If I wanted to give you the worst news I could ever give you, I would tell you three things. Like if I just wanted to set your 2023 off in the worst trajectory I could ever do, I would tell you your faith is worthless, you're still in your sins, and Christ is still dead. That's the worst news I could ever give you. But I didn't come to you this morning with bad news. I came to you this morning with good news. And I came to you not just with good news, but the best news in the entire world, that Christ is alive, your faith can make you right with God, and if you have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, your sins are forgiven. It's the best news in the world. Paul knows this. Paul knows that this is bad news. He says, your faith is worthless. If Christ is dead, your faith is worthless. He even goes on to say that we should be pitied. Not only is it worthless, people should look down upon us with pity. It's knowing that Christ is alive. And so that's the thing, like I've said earlier, the, the, the manger, the cross, the grave, he's reigning on high. He is the sovereign Lord of all. And that's the greatest news that we have is that our King Jesus is a king. He is not a wimp. Jesus is not just this kumbaya, kumbaya guy with a guitar around a campfire singing. He is the king on high. And he came humbly and lowly in a manger. But let me tell you something. Go read Revelation 19. Because when he comes back, Oh, it's going to be a day. It's going to be a day and he will come back. He promised it. And so our hope this morning, I asked us at the, the, at the beginning, 2023, what's it going to bring? Do we have a hope or is it just like a buzzword we say? This is kind of, so we got hope as Christians. No, we, we do have hope because he's alive. And I asked Becky specifically to sing Because He Lives before. I love that song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And life is worth the living. Why? Just because he lives. That's so good, man. I wish I wrote that song. That is so good. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Oh, Christian, would you know that? That life is worth the living we can face tomorrow. That does not mean that our life will not experience tribulations. That does not mean life will not get hard. Life will get hard. All of us in this room know that. Life is going to be hard. Life's going to throw you curveballs. You never expect it. But the good news is, is that God is for you. We talked a little bit about this in our growth group this morning, is that the, the best news, and let me just clear something up. If you have called upon the name of the Lord and you are a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has indwelt you, you are born again. You will never, 
ever be punished by God or experience his wrath. Ever. Ever. The reason why is because there was someone who experienced that for you on the cross. And it was Christ. And so going into 2023, maybe you're looking back and you're like, man, was God for me? I experienced so much. And the answer is yes, God is for you. Just because we experience hard things in life, things that we don't expect, that does not mean God is pouring wrath out on us or he's mad at us or he's punishing us. No, 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 no. Jesus was punished for you. We just sang in Christ alone, the wrath of God was satisfied upon the Son. You will never experience wrath. You experience unmeasurable grace and mercy that never ends ever. And that is good news. We are not to be pitied. We are not to be pitied because we have a real hope that's concrete. It's not abstract. It's real. And it's rooted in the empty grave in the life of Christ. Read verses 20 through 22 with me. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. I teach our students on Wednesday and Sunday that the Bible is 66 books, but it's one big narrative. And that narrative is of God glorifying himself through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That's the narrative. From Genesis to Revelation, if you can grasp that, you will see the Bible through a beautiful lens that is Christ-centered. And so we talk about through one man, sin entered the world. Who's that one man? We know it to be Adam. In Adam, all died. Through Adam's fall in sin, all of us experience the curse of the fall. We feel it. In our own lives, in our culture, in our society, just turn on the news. <laughs> you don't have to look long to see the curse of the fall. But the whole Bible is about Jesus. And so I want to just poke your imagination just for a little bit, because this is not by accident. Who else was in a garden that was tempted and tried? There was a garden of Gethsemane. And he was tempted, and he was sweating blood, and he stood before his disciples that were asleep. <laughs> and he passed. He stood strong. He didn't fold like Adam did. You know, when we say Jesus is our second Adam, that's what we mean. Where Adam failed in the garden, Jesus passed in the garden. And when Jesus went to the cross, he drank the full cup of God's wrath. We can't discount what happened on that day. You know, there's the, that is something that is, when I understood that for the first time, that the wrath of the Father was poured out on the Son for my sin, oh man. It blew my heart up. It made the cross real. 
I was like, that was my sin. He paid for it. You know, we see the biblical narrative, the beauty of it all, that Jesus is our second Adam. In all, Adam, in Adam all died. But in Christ, we might be made alive. So my question this morning, my question this morning to us is, have you come alive in Christ? Truly, have you come alive in Christ? When we talk about dying in Adam, a preacher never has to ask if you've died in Adam. (laughs) Because we all have. But I ask you this morning, have you come alive in Christ? Have you come to that point in your life where you've said, Lord, I'm yours. I'm going to follow you. And I want to tell you something. It's so easy and simple as believing upon him. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. We will. That's a promise. He's a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. God never changes. Therefore, his word never changes. And so I ask you that this morning. Have you come to a point? You know, it's often said that people miss heaven by 18 inches. That's about the distance between your head and your heart. And so I'm not asking you if you've processed the information here. I'm not asking you if you have checked a mental checklist of your Bible doctrine. I'm asking you if you've had a new heart. Because here's the thing. Demons believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Demons believe, use the word, become flesh. Demons believe that he came out of that grave three days later. Even the demons believe and they shudder. So what's the difference between us and a demon? I've asked people that. It's because faith is not just belief, intellectual belief. Faith moves to the heart of submission Faith moves our hearts and makes us right with God. Easy believism is something that plagues the American church where we have people go, of course I'm a Christian. My parents went to church. Of course I know God. I got baptized when I was like four. Of course I'm a Christian. I prayed the prayer once when I was a kid at summer camp. I've heard a lot of that from my counterparts and my peers. Checklist Christianity. We're good at it. We're Americans. But I'm not asking you if you've checked a list. I'm asking you if you've come to the submission of Jesus Christ. People say you've handed the keys over, so to speak. We can process all the information up here but I pray that moves to our hearts because we need a new heart. And so 
I'm going to give you an opportunity uh, to do that here in a moment. And let me kind of share what this moment looks like. Um, if you haven't given your life to Christ, I- I'll be down here. I want to talk to you. Today's the day for salvation. Tomorrow's the, tomorrow's the devil's day. Don't wait. You can start, you can have new life now. It's not just eternal life. It is life now. You don't have life till you come to know Christ. He gives you life. Two, if you need to just repent of your sin, turn from your sin, start fresh this year. As Becky said, start fresh this year. The altar will be open. If you just want to come kneel and say, Lord, I need to get some things right before I go into the new year. Men, I, I, as a young man, this could be hard a hard charge for a young man. Uh, I want to say, men, let's lead our families well. Let's lead our wives well. So this moment of repentance, I want to encourage you, come. Let's start this new year off right. Women, if, if you feel the need that, to come as well, and, and maybe you said, I mean, I've been bitter towards my husband. I wish he'd lead my family better, and I, I've got to give that up. Come to whatever it may be. And maybe... Maybe you've been visiting and, and you're like, I need to join a church family. I need to get, I need to get back right on track. Get part of a church. Put, put my roots deep. Come do that as well. Come talk to me. The altar will be open. Let's start this year off right. Last thing. If you study patterns of church history and you study revival... There's, there's waves of revival that come through the church. And it's beautiful when we experience that. But there's always two things that are present in a church that experiences revival. It is prayer and repentance. There's no magic formula. But I want to invite you to come pray. Repent. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord this morning as we go and look to 2023 as we follow him. So I'm going to be down here. Uh, and if you want to come pray, come to the altar, uh, come do that. Let's pray real quick. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond, and I'd like to invite you to respond today. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you, and have a great week.